God of majesty. You saw the heart in me and made it a home. And you have been my God, faithful through the years. The nations rise and fall, you were standing still. You will be my God, what then shall I fear? I know whatever comes, you'll be with me still. You are the God of righteousness. You are my defense when I have none. You are the God of master's grace, and in my darkest days, you still hold on. And you have been my God, faithful through the years. The nations rise and fall, you were standing still. You will be my God, what then shall I fear? I know whatever comes, you'll be with me still. I know you never let go, I know you never let go of me, I know you never let go. And you never will. I know you never let go. I know you never let go of me. I know you never let go. And you never will. I know you never let go. I know you never let go of me. I know you never let go.
steps are crying you In darkest places I will call Incline your ear to me anew And hear my cry for mercy, Lord
Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Fusion. It's good to see so many faces in here today, and thanks for joining us line as well if you're with us online today. Uh, right now, it's time to invite our kids down to children's worship. So if you want to make your way over to the doors over there on the west side of the room, children, we have uh, preschool through fifth grade today for classes. So if you guys want to head over there, and of course, we've got our little greeting we want to send you guys down with. So once we're all over there, adults, we need your help with that as well in just a moment. A lot of young ones in the room. That's good to see. Good to see. Hope you teachers are ready for a busy morning. <laughs> All right, adults, if you could join me. The Lord be with you. Not bad. You guys are getting the hang of it. Good job. Have a good morning, kiddos. Enjoy. My name's Nate DeWitt. I'm the youth pastor here at Hardwick. If there's any middle schoolers or high schoolers in the room looking to plug in, we meet on Monday nights for high school across the parking lot over there at the Anchor and on Wednesday nights for middle school. So if we see any of you guys are looking for a, a way to plug in, I'm the guy to look for over at that building too. So if you would please join me in a word of prayer, we're going to open things up uh, beginning with some words from Psalm 25. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity, and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides, confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Lord, as we come to you today, we come with hearts that are both grateful and broken. We have so much to be thankful for, but there's also so much hurt that often surrounds us. From the events in the Ukraine to the struggles in our own households and backyards, we ask you to intervene for, protect, and to prosper those who call on you. We ask for your guidance when we seem to see no answers. We ask for your strength when all we feel is weak. And we ask for your care when we're at our most broken. As Psalm 25 says, instruct us in the ways we should choose, Lord. Even in the midst of our troubles, we are grateful. We're grateful for our families who have both led the way for us and also shown us the hope for the future. We're grateful for our church, not only the walls that provide this safe place to worship, but more importantly, the people who can, we can grow with in our efforts to grow closer to you, Lord. You're a miraculous God, a gracious God, a God who can move mountains. Boldly, Lord, we call on you to move those mountains and empower us to also move mountains for you. Thank you for being a God who listens intently, knows us intimately, and loves us immeasurably. Amen. Hey, thanks, Nate. And good morning. It is, uh, it is good to be back after a 
Last weekend, uh, Yvonne surprised me with a little trip away with some high school buddies. We met halfway in the Chicago area, and so that was a, a wonderful uh, night just reconnecting with old friends, but uh, it's good to be back. And uh, good that the weather has changed from last Sunday to this Sunday. Amen? Amen. Also, I, I heard a little rumor that uh, there's a new Division Three women's basketball champion, national champion. Shameless plug. Some of you appreciated it. Some of you maybe didn't. Hey, just a, a real quick word. Um, we have um, a, a little resource that we want to offer families. Uh, you got an email, and so this is just kind of directing your attention to an email that you got in your inbox. Uh, we want to equip families to disciple their kids, and so we have this really cool little resource called Tiny Theologians. Uh, in these little bags, they're all available there in the kind of the, the, the corner in the, in the entranceway. Uh, they're little cards and questions to ask and to explore uh, things about the Bible and things about theology. Uh, the one thing we do ask is make sure you just take a peek in there because some of the things are going to be real appropriate for like preschool age and the high schoolers might not find that quite as compelling. Uh, but uh, if also in there, just as a little uh, incentive, we're going to give away the Easter set, the ABCs of Easter. And so there is a little ticket in there. If you take one, you find that ticket, talk to April, and you will win this cool uh, ABCs of Easter. Pretty cool, huh? It's one of the ways that we get to um, fulfill those promises that we make as parents and as a church to our, our young people. But anyway, we're, we're continuing our journey through this, this season of Lent. And if you remember, we started a couple weeks ago. We're using the book of Exodus as our guide. Uh, but throughout this series, we're keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus since Lent is a journey toward Holy Week uh, and that Passion Week where Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and we celebrate that on Easter Sunday. The beauty about being uh, about as Christians, the beautiful thing is we believe that the scriptures are a unified story that lead us to Jesus uh, and so we can, we can look at the book of Exodus, and in Exodus, we can see these echoes that are picked up in Jesus' story uh, throughout the stories that we're reading in this series. To kind of help frame that, I got a little graphic. I, I showed this graphic two weeks ago, and, uh, but, but up on the top, started kind of putting some of the connection points uh, to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So just a quick review. If you remember, uh, we began two weeks ago, chapters one through four in the book of Exodus is Moses' call, uh, right? The people of, of God are held captive in, in Egypt as slaves. God calls Moses and speaks to him in a burning bush, if you remember. And that's where, G where God shares with Moses his name saying, I am or Yahweh. And the connection point is, particularly in the Gospel of John, Jesus uses these I am statements. So he draws on that same language to identify himself as the Son of God. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Lewis worked us through chapters 5 through 15. This is what we think of as the book of Exodus. This is the story of God's people being liberated from Egypt, crossing the Red Sea. And the connection point there is that's when God establishes the Passover feast, right? The Passover feast, which is pivotal for the people of God. The Passover is, is when blood was smeared on the uh, door frames and doorposts, a, a 
lamb that was slain that brought salvation for, to the people. And of course, that brings us right to Jesus Christ, who is the lamb that was slain. And, and of course, this Passover uh, kind of remembrance meal, the Lord's Supper was instituted at the Passover. Uh, then fast forward this week, we're going to be studying Exodus 16 through 18, really beginning at the end of chapter 15. Uh, but the, chapters 16 through 18 is, is the account of God's people uh, going from the, the banks of the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. And so there's this journey in the wilderness. And during that journey, uh, the people begin to long for what they do not have, uh, basic human needs, food and water. And so they grumble against the Lord. And, and, and that kind of pattern is going to continue throughout their journey in the desert. But that's what we're going to jump in today. We're going to look at, there's three instances. Beginning uh, chapter 15, there's this instance three days in on their journey from leaving the Red Sea. They, they come up across some water. They're thirsty. They don't have water. The water is sour. And so this interesting story, uh, God commands Moses to throw a log in the water, and the sour water becomes sweet, and they're able to drink. Then they spend uh, some time in this oasis, and we pick up leaving from that oasis in Elam. Exodus 16, this is the testimony of God feeding the people manna in the desert. So probably the most familiar of these stories. We're going to read that together, not in its entirety, but we're going to cover the chapter in its entirety. But as we read and listen to God's word, I invite you, if you're willing and able, if you'd please stand as we honor God as he speaks to us this morning. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 5, uh, then jump ahead to verse 9 through 16. Exodus 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. More on that in a bit. Jump ahead to verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, we thank you for 
your word. And we thank you, God, that, that your word is a living word and your word satisfies. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open these words that we read, that your spirit would speak into our lives to provide comfort where we need comfort. Lord, a word of challenge where we maybe need to be challenged. And in all things, Lord, may we be formed more and more into the likeness of the eternal word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Uh, back in January, uh, our daughter, Emmeline, got her ears pierced for the first time. Grandma was in from California, and so I wasn't there, but Grandma and Yvonne took Emmeline to uh, get her ears pierced, and, and overall, she, she did great. She was, she was brave, uh, but it was one of those instances uh, where, where there were some tears, and if you can imagine, by the way, I wasn't going to put a picture of my daughter crying on the screen, so that's not my daughter crying, uh, but there was a lot, I, now I feel bad about, but anyway, she's an actor, I'm sure. Anyway, but... Uh, but there were all these tears, and you can imagine the tears were all around the buildup, right? Because she was scared about the moment, and she, she knew it was going to hurt, but she didn't know how much it was going to hurt to get her ears pierced, and so she was crying, and she was scared, and then all of a sudden the moment happened, and it was like some tears, but like, oh, it's not that bad. Then the next year comes, and some more tears, and then, oh, so anyway, she, she gets done. She's super excited. Those are her new earrings. They're puppy earrings. If you know Emmeline, that makes total sense. Um, but I asked her afterward. We, we had some friends who their daughter was considering getting her ears pierced, but she was a little scared. And I said, hey, hey, Emmeline, why don't you go tell so-and-so uh, to get their ears pierced, encourage them, and say, hey, you know, it wasn't that bad. And she looks at me. She's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And I'm like, well, why not? And she's like, because it was that bad. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, don't talk to her. Just, just keep that to yourself. Uh, and I remember other instances for me when I was young, you know, getting that sh first shot, you know, and it's like, oh, no, and you're so scared, and then it happens. It's like, okay, it's okay. It's that waiting, right? It's that anticipating. It's that buildup that is so hard. The hardest part in all of that is the, is the unknown, not knowing what is ahead. And isn't that true for us as adults too? Isn't that same thing true in adulthood? This idea of the unknown, of uncertainty, if you will. It's so difficult. And it can be hard in little things like, like piercings or a shot or, or even going on a roller coaster, right? You wait in that line and they're, they're intentionally trying to build up anticipation and fear before you jump on that ride, right? And it can be difficult in those things, but it also can be really hard in, in things of life that are far more consequential. It's really one of the reasons what has made the last two years so difficult, right? It's that uncertainty. It's that unknown. How long will the pandemic last? Will there be another wave? Will, will things level off? On top of that, it's, it's the, it was this increasing political and social polarity and divide and it was there, but it just seemed the last couple of years, it just went through the roof. And you're like, oh my word, what is happening? And what is going to happen? All this uncertainty. And then in the last month, Russia invades Ukraine. And for the last month, we're like, what is going on? 
And we don't know what the end game is. And, but we see the consequences that are far-reaching. And, and all of this uncertainty, no matter what it is, brings about all kinds of anxiety and fear and anger and a whole other host of emotions. We're, and, and part of it is because we're just, we're not used to it. Most of us are not used to living in a constant space of uncertainty. I don't know about you, but most of us, if, if you're like me, right, we, we, we order our lives in a certain way so that our lives are predictable and somewhat in our control, right? Some of us plan all of our meals, maybe make all of our meals Sunday night so that you have the whole thing all scheduled out, right? Bless you, that's amazing, right? But we, we like to have our world and our lives in order. We have a school weekend. We know what's happening Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uncertainty, unknown, that is so difficult and for many of us so outside what our lives have been and we all have been coping differently. And I share this, I share this because for us this just gives us a little bit of a glimpse into the lives of the people of God as they stood on the banks of the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is washed over and they look ahead and what do they see? A desert, unknown. What lies ahead? Now, of course, our situation's not, not the same, but I think there are some parallels. The people have, have just left everything they've ever known in dramatic fashion and what lies ahead is just vast, uncertainty. And in the face of uncertainty, what do the people do? Three days in, they begin to grumble and complain. And the focus of their grumbling is pretty reasonable, right? It's upon their immediate needs, water and food. By the way, even for us, in our, in our experience, most of us have more than we need. But how many of you get a little irritable when you're hungry? Maybe your spouse gets a little, right, hangry? Anyone? Okay, we got a couple. And there's commercials, right? You need a Snickers bar, you're acting like some person. Anyway, yeah. So even in our like limited experience where we have never known hunger like what they're experiencing, we've never known thirst like they've experienced, we understand how these things can make us grumble and complain. And that's what they do. They get out of the wilderness and they quickly begin to grumble. The people begin to grumble. It begins three days in, they run out of water uh, Exodus 15, verses 22 and following. Uh, and then it continues in their wilderness journey. They, they run out of water. They get some water. They go to this oasis in Elam uh, where there's springs and palm trees. They leave there. They're about a month in. And again, now they're hungry. And they begin to grumble and complain. And this is what we read, verse 3. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now what you're going to notice is this pattern will continue through the life of God's people into the desert, into the book of Numbers, grumbling, complaining, questioning, wondering. Because uncertainty, and remember all that's before them is all uncertainty. Uncertainty leads to grumbling and quarreling and questioning and us not at our best. And before we, we kind of jump on the judgment train, right? Because it's real easy for us to read this experience of God's people and be like, what, what's going on, man? Like, 
You just went through the Red Sea. You just walked through a sea on dry ground. And now just a day or a month in, you're complaining and, 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 and grumbling against the Lord. Now, before we do that, um, I think it's more helpful to kind of read God's word as a mirror, right? That reflects our own lives back. Just, just remember this. Three days, the people leave the Red Sea. Three days without water. How long can you survive without water? About three days. So it makes a lot of sense that they begin complaining about not having water in chapter 15. After three days, God provides water. About a month later, they're in the desert of sin. They're hungry. How long can you live without food? About a month, give or take. They're hungry. They're hungry. And so they begin to speak up. It's understandable. It's justified. And, and not only that, but it, when, I, when, I, when I hold that as a mirror, how easy is it for me to judge them when I go to my own house and I have a pantry filled with food? I have a refrigerator fully stocked and I go to the store when I'm just getting low. For the first time in my life, I have a refrigerator that has a, an ice and water dispenser. I waited like 38 years for that. I always wanted one of those and I got one now, right? We live in this in this abundance, and so it's really, it's really easy and unfair for us to judge the people of God, what they're going through, and it's really hard for me to relate because I don't know if I've ever truly been hungry in the way that they were hungry in this moment. But again, when I look at the scriptures at, with a, as a mirror, what I do know is that what does uncertainty about other things do to me? Suddenly, it becomes a little more convicting. When I'm uncertain about things, I don't know about you, but I become, I become antsy, anxious, maybe a little angry and short-tempered, kind of seeking to control things. And I don't know about you, but when things become uncertain, what my initial response is, is to begin to try to coordinate and, and, and work and attack the problem and try to make things right, right? Now, the people of God, they, they complained but at least they brought it to their leader who brought it to the Lord. I, I, if I'm honest, I don't go to the Lord when I'm feeling uncertainty. Oftentimes, I'm, I'm looking for ways to sort things out in my own power, my own strength, and then only after I run to the end of my own self do I then turn to the Lord, right? But the people of God, they, yeah, they grumble, they complain, but they bring those complaints to Moses and Aaron who bring it to the Lord, and what happens? The Lord provides. Notice God's initial, first thing he says in response to their complaint, he says, I will rain down bread from heaven, verse four. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people will go out each day and gather enough for that day. God shows this incredible amount of patience with his people, but there's more going on here. There's a lot more going on here, and we have a whole chapter of details to help us explore what exactly is going on. You see, God is not simply giving in to the complaint and grumblings of his people, right? It's not that God is, is like the parent in, in Target and, and the kids complaining and screaming, and you're like, fine, just shut your mouth, right? Like just giving in to the kid who's complaining just so they stop complaining. That's not what's going on here. There is so much more going on here in Exodus chapter 16. And in what happens, God reveals his wisdom 
in what he provides and how he provides for his people. Because notice something. Notice this. God does not provide certainty. The people are grumbling because, because they're, they're desperate for, for certainty. And what I mean by that is God does not provide certainty that comes with abundance. Notice God does not give them endless pots of meat as their delish, delusioned hearts are craving after. Like, really? Was that really what Egypt was like? You got to eat whatever you want. They're like forgetting everything else that went with it. But God did not give them these endless pots of meat. God did not give them barns filled with months worth of grain. God does not give them a farm to plant them on. God does not give them a full pantry, a full refrigerator. And God does not build a Meyer store or Aldi right there in the desert, right? God does not provide certainty that comes and is found in abundance, Abundance provides a certain level of, of certainty. You see, abundance makes me feel more certain about the future. I can, I can look at those storehouses of grain and be like, all right, I got enough for today and I got enough for tomorrow and the next day. And if something happens, I got enough for the next month worth of food. That's not how God operates here. We live in a, in a, in a world, in a, in a culture, in our and praise God, but we have this abundance, but that abundance makes us feel secure, more secure about our future. It's why we, we watch our bank balance. It's why I watch my bank balance. And when an unexpected expense hits, I'm like, oh man. Or we watch that retirement fund. Or even that, like when we, we watch, we, we keep an eye on our refrigerator and pantry and when things start to get old, you know, we start running out, we, we restock it. Because in that abundance, we find security and hope. Do, do, you, do you know why? There was a run on certain items the last two years, right? I don't know why like 4,000 rolls of toilet paper makes us feel more secure. But there was a run on all these items. What if I run out of toilet paper? So the stores are empty because we're, 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 we're trying to find security in our abundance. God does not provide the people of God with certainty found in abundance. Instead, God simply provides enough for today. God provides daily bread and meat, daily provision. God says, I'm going to provide the people just what they need for today. Quail is going to cover the camp in the evening, and then this strange flaky grain is going to cover the desert floor. It's called manna. In Hebrew, that literally just means what is it? So I'm going to provide what is it. Yep, and that's going to give you just enough for today. Let's talk a little bit about, about what God provides. Notice uh, in some of the details, God provides just enough bread. If you keep reading where we left off, this detail is found in verse 17 and 18. It says this, the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. When they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much, did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. So you're going out there, you're collecting, but at the end of the day, God provided just enough for that day. And if you know, or if you're familiar with the story, anyone who tried to hoard and save a little bit for the next day, just in case they were like, is God going to provide tomorrow? And they try saving some of that manna, what happened? The man is spoiled. It's filled with maggots, right? There's more going on here. God provided them with just enough 
for each day. If we keep reading verse 23 through 31, you, there is this detail, you know, gather twice as much on the sixth day so that you, because there's not going to be any on the seventh day. And what is God doing? God is, is creating within them a, a pattern, a life pattern of Sabbath rest. Now think about the significance of that. A people who have been enslaved for 400 years, God is saying, you're going to gather twice as much. It's not going to spoil. It's not going to go bad so that you can have one day every seven days to rest. For 400 years, these people, as a people, never knew a day of rest in their life. And God says, I got a gift for you. Sabbath. Verse 32 through 36, then there's this interesting instruction. Take an omer, that's a measurement. Place that omer of manna in a jar and save that jar to remind the generations to come of how the Lord provided for you in the desert. So now this instruction to, to take this tangible thing, keep it by the Ark of the Covenant, and, and to remember God's provision. There is, is there more going on? There's more going on here than just God giving in to a complaining kid. And it begs the question, what is going on? Why, why all these details? What is, what is God doing with all these complicated different instructions? Why this daily provision? And when we look a little closer, we see the brilliance and wisdom of God. You see, daily bread offered the people more than just food. Daily bread brought an opportunity for the people to grow as his people. Here's three, three quick things uh, that we can look at. The first thing, the first thing that, that this daily bread provided was, was to get Egypt out of the people. Someone far smarter than me coined this kind of phrase that, that God used Moses to get the people out of Egypt, but then God used the desert to get Egypt out of the people. Isn't that true? The people had lived in Egypt for 400 years. Yes, Egypt had enslaved them, but it was also Egypt who fed them and provided shelter for them. And so here they are looking back at Egypt with this, this delusion, right? This misguided like nostalgia, like is that really what happened in Egypt? But they're remembering Egypt as if it was this wonderful time. And God's saying, no, 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 we gotta break you of that because your identity is still in Egypt. You need to find your identity in me, says the Lord. That's part of what's happening here with daily provision. The second thing with daily provision is they need to learn to trust the Lord. Daily provision. Not a, not a barn filled with grain, but daily bread from the people. And in this, over time, God is teaching them, informing them, what does it mean to trust God with my daily needs to help them fully depend on God. And then finally, in this, beautiful, with Sabbath and with this manna jar, creating new rhythms, the Lord institutes this formative practice that will carry this need to trust in the Lord into their future. A weekly practice of Sabbath to remind them that it is God who provides for our daily needs. Sabbath as a, as a gift of rest for the people who for 400 years never had a day of rest in their lives. But also Sabbath as an act of faith. Sabbath is an act of faith to choose for one day not to work because you understand and you trust that God will provide and it's not us, up to us to continuously run on that hamster wheel. God will provide enough. 
Friends, this is the brilliance and the wisdom of God. The people longed for certainty in the desert. But instead of providing them with certainty that's found in abundance, the Lord provided the people just enough for each day and in that formed dependency. They wanted certainty. God had something better. Depend on me. Depend on me. And this is where this lesson hits home for us. Desert fathers, early Christian fathers and, and mothers uh, of the faith went off to the desert to depend on God and, and they came up with this term, holy uncertainty. Not certainty, but holy uncertainty. For it's, uh, people who, as people who admittedly for myself fight for control, who fight for certainty, Often to my own detriment, I think the calling that scripture gives to us today is to learn and grow in this difficult discipline of embracing holy uncertainty. I was introduced to this term by, by one of my favorite teachers, Pastor John Mark Comer. Uh, he put out a, a digital booklet, September 2020, in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, the name of this digital, e I guess it's an ebook. The, the ebook is, We Don't Know What's Going to Happen and That's Okay. Living in holy uncertainty. That's a title, huh? He defines holy uncertainty this way. Holy uncertainty is the capacity to live with a loose grip or no grip at all on our plans and more important, on the outcomes of our plans because our security is rooted in a relational connection to God, not in a false sense of control. Holy uncertainty is this act of faith, uh, of trust, to hold loosely to outcomes and learn to be dependent on God, to be less fixated on this insatiable need and desire to know and control how things will go in our lives and hold loosely to those outcomes. And I don't know about you, that's really hard. And a quick word, quick disclaimer for my type A planners. This doesn't mean we don't make plans. Plans are really important. The scripture affirms making plans. But it does mean that we need to hold a little more loosely to outcomes. Because how often do our plans go the way we thought they would go? So keep making plans, right? That's good, okay. Here's the thing, Exodus 16 offers, I think, some help along the way of this lifelong journey of formation. We talk about it's a journey, right? It doesn't come all at once. Specifically around holy uncertainty. Three different things. The first thing uh, that holy uncertainty teaches us is, is we need to break Egypt's grip. Exodus 16 teaches us we need to break Egypt's grip in our lives. For the people of God, they had to break Egypt's grip on their hearts, right? Their provision always came from Egypt, lots of other bad things, but they were fed. So the question, what, what has a grip of your heart? Where do, where do we look? Where am I looking for, for security? Where, where do I look to, to try to manipulate and control things? Is it that, that bank balance? Is it, you know, what is it? Those things aren't bad, but am I looking to those things instead of the one who promises to provide? 
The second thing that Exodus 7, 16 teaches us is the importance of growing in trust. Growing in trust. Honestly, this is a tough one because I think most often the place where we grow in tr- our trust in the Lord is, is in the desert. And that's not automatic because sometimes the desert is just devastating, but it's often in the desert when we learn to trust and depend on God, and it's no accident that the people of God are in a desert. Because when we're not in the desert, when we're in the land of plenty, oftentimes we're content to depend on our own ability and our own perceived control over our lives and things. But ponder with me for just a moment, a little thought exercise. What would happen... What would happen if your life was turned upside down this week? How would you respond? And again, that doesn't mean it wouldn't be difficult. Of course it would be. But I, thought, I think oftentimes learning to trust often comes down to a conscious choice to trust. And to choose to trust doesn't mean we ignore or pretend the bad things aren't happening. No, it's in the midst of those things that we choose to trust in the Lord despite the evidence that things seem way out of control. And sometimes we have to make that choice before we get to the desert. This past week, a little over a week ago, one of our uh, members, Mark Andre. And I talked to Brenda and got permission to share this, but uh, this flower is from Mark Andrews' funeral that was yesterday. And um, some of you know Mark and maybe know a little bit of Mark's story. Uh, I've gotten to know Mark's story more fully over the last week. Um, if you don't know Mark's story, Mark was, uh, was a super active guy. You know, he did all kinds of things outdoors. He climbed and he boated, he swam, and he was incredibly active and fit, and that was a, a big value for him. But at the age of 25, Mark was diagnosed with cancer. He went through a difficult treatment uh, and came out on the other side um, and continued living life. He then met Brenda a little later in life. They had two, have two sons. Um, and when those sons were little boys, um, Mark was having some issues with his heart. They did some tests and, and they discovered that the treatment that he received, this is before a lot of the things we know now, but he received too much treatment. And the treatment for cancer ended up damaging his heart and his lungs. And he was going to have to have surgery. And he got the news that, that life was going to be a lot different moving forward. Now you can imagine, maybe, a little bit, what that would be like. For Mark and Brenda, after surgery, wrestling with all that they had lost and all that they would lose, began to feel that anger and that bitterness, and, and rightfully so. But it was in that moment that, that Brenda shared with me last week that, that they stopped and they said, how are we going to live? And they made a conscious decision not to focus on all the things that they lost, but to focus on all the things that God had given them and to focus on the future. And in that decision, over time, God blessed them with this faith and this trust that truly helped them endure through the last month as they knew the end was coming. It didn't mean that they ignored the hard. 
It didn't mean that they tried burying it. No, it's just in the midst of the hard and the difficult, they chose to trust and in trusting, God sustained them. And it's still hard, but God is with them. What does it mean to grow in our trust in the midst of deserts? And then finally, the third thing is to find holy rhythms. The people of God were given this rhythm of Sabbath. What a beautiful gift. God gave them this rhythm of their week. Every week of their lives, they would work six days and they would be given one day of rest. Again, this was not intended to limit their productivity, but instead was intended to free them from the slave drivers of their past. And for many of us, it's not a, it's not a physical slave driver that's keeping us going, but it's some kind of internal slave driver that says, keep working, you gotta keep going, you gotta, you gotta keep going. God wants to free us of that internal slave driver of upward mobility. Sabbath was and is a weekly reminder that God is the giver of all good gifts, that God is the provider, and he simply has given us this gift to ask us to take a break, to rest. Sabbath literally means just cease, stop, and rest in the Lord and trust in his provision for your life. And so for us, I think there's something to be learned here. Find rhythms that help you remember to trust in God's provision, to remember and trust that God is enough. I think Sabbath is a wonderful practice. Sabbath practiced with intention, not uh, as a legalistic kind of thing, but intentionally practice Sabbath in a way that helps orient you and direct you toward God's provision. Rest, delight in the Lord. There's other things you could do, prayer practices or a gratitude journal. Gratitude is such an incredible gift. Intentional community. I know some that have created a mana jar, right? This mana jar that reminds the people of, of their faithfulness filled with an omer of manna, but, but create a jar where you place written testimonies of God's faithfulness and you go back to that. That's another practice, another idea. Find rhythms that orient us moving forward toward trusting in God's provision in our lives. And friends, that's what we're gonna do right now. Because our Lord Jesus knew we needed holy rhythms, right? So 2,000 years ago, Passover feast, Jesus Christ instituted this rhythm of holy communion, the Lord's Supper. John 6 the festival of Passover is just around the corner, we're told. Verse four, Jesus fed 5,000 people on the far side of the Sea of Galilee. And then that same night, Jesus crossed that same Sea of Galilee by foot. Right, he walked on water, it's pretty cool. And he arrived in Capernaum. And now there's this crowd that meets him. By the way, do, do you see all the echoes of the Exodus story? crossing the water, feeding 5,000 with bread. Rise in Capernaum, he meets a crowd there and they're looking for a sign from Jesus to prove that he is who he says he is. This is what they ask him in verse 30. So they ask him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God 
is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, sir, they asked, give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am, there's an I am statement, the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And do you know how the people responded in John chapter 6? Verse 31 says this. At this, the Jews there began to grumble. Began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. You see those parallels? Jesus would then go on to say, our ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever eats this bread, referring to his own flesh, will live forever. Now at this point, the people understandably are like, what in the world is this Jesus talking about? But us, with the benefit of of some time and knowing the full story, understand that Jesus is echoing and, and giving a foreshadowing of this sacrament of communion. Now let me be clear, Jesus is not saying in John 6 that by eating tiny squares of bread and cups of juice, we will be given salvation. But instead, what Jesus is saying is that in Christ, there is salvation. Life in Christ is salvation, and this meal reminds us of our real union, our real communion with him and with each other, and the hope that this gift assures us in the heavenly feast to come. And so friends, we, we make the move and we gather. We gather at the table of our Lord to remember, to be fed by the, the bread of life. And in this, we are formed by another rhythm of God's grace that reminds us where our provision, our sustenance comes from. This is a gift offered in grace, received in faith so may your faith compel you to come forward, no matter how small that faith is, to receive this gift of grace this morning. Before we begin, just a few words of instruction. You'll notice things look a little different than they have for the last two years. Uh, we're, we're taking a step, in our, a small step in our communion practice, uh, while also Uh, being intentional about remaining hospitable and conscientious of where people are at. And so we have two stations up front. Um, What you will be do after we invite you forward, uh, we just ask that you come down the two kind of side center aisles uh, toward the table. Uh, You will be handed a piece of bread uh, with someone wearing a glove, and then you will be asked to take a cup with your own hand, partake at the table, uh, and then you can get to your seat no matter how, however you want, but we ha- it, it's going to be most convenient if you go around the outside. There's a little trash can. You can throw your cup in the trash can. If you go down the center, we got you covered. There's a trash can back there. We just didn't want, it, we didn't want trash cans all over the place, right? Uh, but for those who prefer, uh, we'll also be offering uh, the prepackaged um, elements as well. Uh, there are some up at the table. You can take those yourself. Uh, there's also a couple of uh, gluten-free options up there. If you'd rather or, un- or would rather stay at your seat, uh, simply just raise your hand and someone will come with one of the prepackaged elements and serve you there. I think I covered all the instructions. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's uh, prepare our hearts by going to our Lord in prayer. 
Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the bread of life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you knew and you know how difficult life in this broken world can be. And God, you know and you knew how difficult uncertainty is for us. It's been true for thousands of years as we see it in your people. And for us, Lord, when we face uncertainty, it is so challenging. The unknown is, is terrifying and scary. And so, Lord, in your wisdom and in your grace, you've given us rhythms and you've given us these elements, tangible bread and wine or juice, that, Lord, we can, we can touch in our hands, we can taste in our own mouths. And, and, Lord, just as real as these elements are, as we take and partake with them, Lord, so real is your presence in our lives. And so, Lord, as we partake, as we ponder your grace, ponder your goodness, Lord, may you remind us of your real presence with us and the promise of God to provide for our each and every daily need. And to some of us, Lord, we're taking things day by day. We're taking things moment by moment. So Lord, sustain us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying this cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. The body and the blood of Christ given for the people of God. Come, for all things are now ready. Remember the sacrifice of love. We remember. 
his blood has power still by his wounds we shall be healed this is communion invite you to stand and sing with us. Praise God from whom all It is our Lord and God who sustains us, gives us life and breath each and every day. May we learn to grow each and every day in our trust and our love for him. As you go from here, receive his blessing upon you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen, and go in peace.